Welcome to our journey. Our journey toward a more perfect union. Our more perfect union is an experiment, a grand experiment in something we all cherish, democracy. Welcome to our Radio Roundtable with higher education consultant, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, Harvard's Executive Director for Health and Human Rights, Dr. Natalie Alinos, and from Beacon Hill, Representative Jeff Roy, as we the people celebrate the journey of America toward a more perfect union. Welcome to A More Perfect Union. I'm Nick Remesong. Joining me from a uh, an abbreviated group today, I have Dr. Michael Walker-Jones. Yay! Higher education <laughs> consultant. As you can hear in the back, that, that little high-pitched chirp, that was our station manager, Peter J. Yay! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you can uh, see we're, we're a little bit giddy. We're a little bit giddy. We uh, The parents, the, the grown-ups, Dr. Natalie Alinos, Jeff Roy, and others, have uh, have needed some time off from the kids, so we're we've been loosed. <laughs> what were they thinking? <laughs> yeah, we've been unleashed on the world. But speaking of the world, how about we start? We with we, we do have one, don't we? We do have one. It's 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 shaky. <laughs> it's it's questionable at times. It's unsavory, and we have uh, something new. Making a, we have a new word according to the OED. Word of the year. Well, not necessarily new, but word of the one of the words of the year. The year we're focused. The, the word we're focused on. The word, word that has come into our gun sights. The word is that we are about to delve. De, and delve is not it, by the way. But we're going to delve into this word today. Yes. Ta da! And I promise you, it is not Greece, but the word is woke. What woke? Woke. 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 I thought I knew what that meant until well, I'm, I'm gonna I give didn't you a know little, what that meant. Give you a little bit on this. <laughs> woke, the objective past participle form of the verb wake, to rouse from lethargy, apathy, ignorance, etc. We have, uh, that's, that's what the OED uh, claims it to be, along with the newer meaning, which drifts off in other areas. But then we have CPAC definitions. Nikki mm -hmm. Haley. Wokeness is a virus more dangerous than any pandemic, hands down. Or mm. from Republican Senator from Alabama, Tommy Tuberville, a left-wing agenda to uproot existing gender and sexuality norms. Wow. Yeah, well, that's a there's wow. a gap somewhere in there. There's a gap. Now, meanwhile, also at CPAC, we have Donald Trump at Woke's greatest arch enemy. And he sought and won the overwhelming approval of the convention by aligning himself on the woke question. But also, he aligned himself with not only the God of the Old Covenant, but also with an old, self-professed, agnostic British prime minister. Mm. The former, through Romans 12, 19, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord, King James Version, please, with his claim, I am your warrior. I am your justice. And for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution. I am afraid. The latter instance, the latter reference comes uh, through his claim that he will end the war in Ukraine in one day. 
this is obviously a channeling of Neville Chamberlain's uh, appeasement policy yeah. uh, in 1938 when he surrendered the Sudetenland to Adolf Hitler. Mm. So in the immortal words of Rogers and Hammerstein, I ask, how do you solve a problem like Donald? Well, I, you know, well, first off, the music's in my to, head now. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to challenge CPAC. Uh, because there were a couple of people who were absent. Number one, Nikki Haley, obviously, because she didn't get the memo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, and the other uh, is uh, our good friend from Florida, the illustrious governor, August personality, Mr. <laughs> R- Ron DeSantis, who I think has the absolute most wonderful definition of woke that yes. surpasses all of that. And so yes. I think really the prize goes to Ryan. Uh-huh. Uh, all right. And his uh and his speech in Iowa when he repeatedly kept uh adding to the definition of woke. Uh, yes. And also added to the warrior call for us fighting woke. Uh, and that we need to be an anti-woke society and that if he's ever elected uh to any higher office where he can do something about it outside of Florida, the rest of the country ought to follow him down this anti-woke and let's destroy woke crusade Uh, for, uh, uh, you know, I think there is a silence on the part of those of us who really want to challenge this. And uh, let me throw this out. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, because, uh, you know, because I, uh, you know, I'm willing to go along with the uh, OED definition. And as a matter of fact, when you read the OED definition, we ought to be around going, uh, I don't know what these folks are talking about, but this is what woke means. It has nothing to do with any political movement, never has. It's just trying to get people to be rational, Kind. kind. And aware of their surroundings, which is the just pure definition of the word. Your thoughts, gentlemen. Well, I I find it ironic that, you know, in this use of the term woke and weaponizing it the way DeSantis is trying to do with the woke mob, and it was associating woke with mob, like all of the people who surround themselves or embrace the word woke are somehow or other mobsters, uh, or that they're evil and that the whole movement is evil. And yet at the same time, over the past two weeks, when this has come about, all the Sunday morning pressers and all of the other pundits and pollsters who have plumbed the depths of understanding for what woke is, they tell you that the majority of Americans are, guess what, just fine with it and support it. The majority of Americans are good with it. So it appears to me that DeSantis is going after probably something like a Trumpian base. You know, if he could if he could corner emotionally and really latch on to emotionally a 30 percent grab or 35 percent grab mm-hmm. on all of the people who will determine the primary, that's a powerful place to be. And so the his use of the woke mob is strategy. That's what it is. Does he believe it personally? Who knows? But it's strategy mm-hmm. and he's branding it and owning it. That's what he's doing. Yeah, I. And for and for this whole period, I I don't know how woke has suddenly come to symbolize the left other than they're defining it that way. And I don't see any utility for the word other than 
in terms of the way, Nick, you described it from CPAC, I don't see any utility for the word at all in their usage of it. But again, the silence on on the part of those who don't buy into that and think that it's an idiotic uh, framework, including, I think you rightly say, Pete, the media right. uh, is, mm. uh, uh, is problematic for me. Uh, but then we've been running into this problem now for a number of years. The... And, and let's talk about this journalism. There are still those in journalism who want to play by the old rules, right? Who still want to play by the rule of you've got to have two sources to verify a story. You don't, you know, you, you become the purveyor, uh, purveyor of truth. Uh, yeah, you're talking and about you just, uh, Yeah. And you yeah. just, and you just do the facts uh -huh. You don't, uh, you know, you try to minimize any personalization or editor, uh, editorializing, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, those rules have worked for us who, what, when, where, why? Yeah. Uh, for years, but no longer. Now there is a matter of, I think journalism having to push back when you see a politician who don't, you know, who don't care about the truth and who will espouse lies, don't we have a responsibility to say, uh, I'm sorry, governor, that's not true. That's not the right. definition of woke. So, uh, so, and, and the next question is, so can you, you know, can you explain the public why you're doing that or why you're saying it? we don't do that? Mm -hmm. Well, exactly. We just let it go. We let it stand. Mm -hmm. I think I think one of the things, Dr. Mike, that we need to consider is that if we look at this as three groups of people, uh, group number one is the people you talk about, news people who have, you know, by degree, their integrity and they're making best efforts to convey the news. Group number two are the on-air and print polemicists, those who are not necessarily trying to shine light on the truth, but generate rhetoric. The difference between logic and rhetoric. Logic exists among real reporters. Rhetoric exists among polemicists, obviously. And the more bombastic the rhetoric, the better. And then the third group, and this is new, this is the new phenomenon. The politicians themselves are now generating their own rhetoric, their own polemics. Polemics has become a first-person game in politics, which we saw with the advent of the Tea Party. That's <laughs> where it really kind of springs from. Uh, and it was perfected by 45 and has been amplified since then. And everybody's operating out of that playbook right now uh, with the idea that if I can control by pure emotion, and pure emotion means I have to be as out there as possible, uh, by pure emotion, getting enough people to take my side, that's an awful lot of power. And it puts the win above all things in the primary. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And it's it's... It's the outrageous nature that I think, you know, that of course that's always going to grab attention. How that's outrageous the word, can you it? be? Yeah, that's, that's the outrage. Word. It's, outrage. It's about fomenting discord and outrage mm -hmm. because guess what? Anger generates votes. Anger makes the phone ring on radio mm -hmm. shows. And we, we've had this, we, we've always had instances of this, you know, in, right. in American politics. I mean, the last great one, and I do mean great one that I remember, uh, it was Huey Long. Oh, loved yeah. Huey Long. I mean, well before my time, but <laughs> you, you can always go back and read T. Harry Williams' great biography of uh, Huey Long. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it was amazing what he did. I mean, he, you know, he characterized himself as a hick and as, you know, one of the poor downtrodden from the backside of uh, 
of Louis, you know, the swamps of Louisiana. Uh-huh. And the one who truly was the hick was his brother Earl, and he did pretty well himself. Yeah. But it was, and he was, he, he really was on the cusp of breaking out, I think, and getting out of, um, and putting himself in a, a position to really impact upon presidential policy and, you know, put himself in the, in the, in the way of getting elected president when somebody, um, well, they, they blamed it on a, a dis, you know, a disillusioned doctor whose family had been uh, disgraced, but now they find that, uh, he was actually killed by his own bodyguards, bullets, ricochets, whatever. But it's just, uh, it, it just amazes me that, you know, this has become the norm. Now, I think Huey was an intelligent man, extremely intelligent man. I don't know, certainly well-informed with a good basis in historical knowledge. I would not put that on the, uh, on the person of Donald Trump. Correct. So I'm I just, would agree. yeah. How do you, how do you take someone like that and deify them? And I, I go back to Rune Arledge when Rune Arledge was, uh, handed the ABC news and told, okay, run it just like uh, wild wool to sports. Uh-huh. That was the beginning, I think. I, I, you know, I'm, yeah, I, and I, I draw and back, it, I go into deep holes sometimes. And I think I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to put a hand down and, uh, uh, and try to get you out of there, Nick. There we go. <laughs> but what happens then when, I mean, Rune Arledge, I can understand. I remember, uh, ABC going into, yeah, man, let's, let's do news like entertainment. Mm -hmm. And it was really a matter of presentation, not a matter of journalism. It was a matter of right. presentation. It was a matter right. of how they came across, you know, mm -hmm. the upbeat music, uh, you know, uh, a few more light stories, uh, you know, a little more engagement interviews, uh, you, you know, galore, uh, and then actually everybody started picking up on that, mm -hmm. right? especially the morning shows. Uh, yeah. You know, now we've got the big three morning shows, right. uh, you know, today show, good morning America. And, uh, I forget the name of the, uh, of the CBS one, but, right. But, you know, but then here we are. Okay. So, uh, you know, so I can, uh, so I can, I can, you left, you left out that. Fox and friends. Uh, I did. What were you uh, thinking? Uh, uh, because because this is the punchline. What happens when you finally realize and you're uh, they are exposed that there is one of those big television uh, on the air across the air networks uh -huh. that's not doing the news. They're doing vitriol and right. they're doing the polemic thing that you were talking about Pete. rhetoric rhetoric you know, rhetoric, rhetoric right. mm -hmm. and they're mm -hmm. lying what about ism they're lying and yes. it, and yet and yet there's no uh unlike in the law when you have uh attorneys who go out and they don't practice law in the at least down the pathway that you're supposed to they can be, uh, you know, they can be punished by the court. Right. There's nothing for journalism like that. Now, here it is. We know, especially at, in their nighttime lineup, that these folks were lying to the general public. They they fired a person who told the truth. Mm -hmm. They were trying to manipulate their audiences around the uh, 2020 election. The big lie, the big steal. The big, and they continue to do it. And now here they are supporting this idea that Ukraine is a minimal thought or should be a minimal thought, uh, a dust up, and mm -hmm. that we ought to support 
<clears throat> not only these uh, uh, these dictators, but we ought to give Ukraine to Russia uh, uh -huh. because it's not mm. our problem. With mm -hmm. a bow on it. Yeah. And this is a quote unquote news media. Well, I, I, help me understand that. Well, I was before the show, we were kibitzing a little bit. You know, Nick and I were going around about this. And I said, I find it highly ironic, highly ironic that number one, uh, I'll say I'm not a Republican. I'm pretty independent, but, uh, you know, left leaning. I'll say that. But I believe in a strong defense which has always been a key plank in a Republican platform. Uh, the idea of having a solid military, well-backed by technology and research from NIST and all of the other government agencies that keep us best in class to defend ourselves and our allies, I've always been behind that, which has always been a strong Republican position. Because there are benefits that people never get to see from that in terms of, of technology development and how it benefits everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, that yep. said... This key plank in the Republican Party is now being attacked by Republicans because they're saying, well, do we really want to mess around with Ukraine? Can they not put together that beating back a bad guy, a dictator, is mm -hmm. in our best national interest and maintaining a strong defense, even if it isn't on our shores? Mm -hmm. And yet the Republican Party now is taking this odd position, which goes so against the grain of what they've stood for for decades. And I'm scratching my head over that one. I really am. Well, it's a reversion to isolationism, I think. It, yeah. Yeah. There it, you go. Close the borders, make everything as it was in 1953, and everything's good. And it's everything that was Everything. In every aspect, social, political. Yeah. Uh, cultural. Yeah. I am, uh, I am, uh, last night I saw a, um, uh, I was watching, uh, I won't mention, uh, the program or the channel, but there was a commentator that was on MSNBC who made a commentary analogy between the anti-abortion efforts in Texas and the efforts of uh, those who supported slavery. Now, here was the analogy. Wow. During slavery, if a slave was able to escape the state where he or she were enslaved and they moved someplace else, there was a law created that said, okay, the owner of that slave can go and chase them. If they caught them inside of the state, no problem. Mm -hmm. Then they expanded those laws to say you could cross the borders and right. chase them in the free states. Right. Red Scott. Okay. Exactly. Which was the formation of the police department. Uh, mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah, from this vi vigilante kind of, I'll go right. or bounty hunter kind of chase them. Right. The law in Texas is designed to anyone who helps or uh, supports a woman who is going to have or has an abortion. Yeah. The law allows the citizens, again, this vigilante group to chase mm -hmm. them mm -hmm. and to chase them out of the state. Right. And so when she for, made for a that bounty, an, yeah, yep. for a, yep. exactly for mm -hmm. a bounty too. Yep. That's right. When she made that analogy, suddenly it hit me that, oh my goodness, 
the model is there and that's all they did was change the words from slavery to a woman who is pursuing an abortion right have we not learned anything in this country uh you know about freedom and so when you when we talk about going back to the 1950s there are many people alive today who have no clue about what we mean by the 1950s right Mm -hmm. uh the age of normalcy yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, for example, Keith is sitting here uh, scratching our, his head. Our he's going, see our, our director producer, who's sitting here going, why, why, what are these old guys talking about the 1950s and stuff? Mm. Okay, it was and a great it, brochure. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's amazing how many young people they look at us and they go, why, why, what are you talking about? I mean, now nah, we can't go back to the 1950s because that's ancient stuff, man. I mean, that was over 10 years ago, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, in, in in all fairness, Michael, I bet we can all the three of us can remember uh, thinking that when we were Keith's age. Oh, absolutely. Uh-huh. I remember we're going back to the twenties. What are you kidding? That's exactly. the stone age. What are flappers? <laughs> right. What's the what's the Charleston? You mm-hmm. know, I mean, you know, uh, is that anything like mashed potatoes? You, yeah. You know? Right. Um uh, so and, and then let's let's carry this on one step further. Because the other thing that I see happening around us is that the warriors aren't getting the same kind of publicity uh that those who are trying to do nothing more than stir up uh this animosity hatred and division and and now i'm talking about the uh the one woman crusade uh i think she's uh uh is she a senator uh kavanaugh yeah uh uh the uh in and i think it's kansas right Uh uh-huh where she is uh, doing a one-person filibuster of every single bill for the next 90 days, including the ones that she likes, getting very little publicity for that. Mm -hmm. And so far, so far, they've gone through 45 days of the session, and she has stopped every single bill, even ones that she likes. the projection is that out of uh oh i think it was something like 700 and something bills that maybe in the entire 40, uh, 90 day session 26 of them might make it through mm. 26 bills she's doing a wonderful job she has a few helpers but she is filibustering every single bill that goes through in order to help protect transgender children their parents and the process wow uh, that's a that's a herculean task that is it, yeah. it is uh there are over 300 and something bills that are anti-transgender uh across the country mm-hmm. uh, this year and again these are bills that intend to go into the homes of parents with their mm-hmm. children and restrict or deny them healthcare services that they may want for their children why yeah and it's it's and it's just it's devastating because it's it's an attack on families it's an attack on mm-hmm. uh, the children it's an attack on children now agree or not that a 10 year old might have the capacity to determine what's 
what their gender is, but to attack that child, to deny that child health care, to deny that child access to anything that might help them over this this difficult time is just it's inexcusable. I really can't uh, I can't I can't understand the nastiness and the the absolute vituperation of most of this. It's just it's poisonous, I think. Well, the other thing, too, is that, remember, above all things, it's an emotional issue. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And emotional issues are the ones that garner votes. Always bear in mind that people pushing for these bills, politicians lobbying for these things, whatever, are not always doing this for the most altruistic reasons. That's really what's unfortunate. You know, we always believe that, you know, a politician would be someone who would do right by the people, take a leadership position on behalf of constituents to to try to follow the will of the people when it was appropriate, and yet at the same time, balance that with doing what was in the interests of the people. That's a very carefully balanced Occam's razor to deal with in terms of decision-making. But I don't see any of that going on in the current group of politicians. I see it all about just garnering votes, seeing what they can do to get out in front and stay there as best they can and not really and 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 quite frankly being inconsistent sometimes i mean if oh, there yeah. was anybody if there was anybody who was a champion of inconsistency it was 45 mm-hmm. you know he in you know you could put two adjacent sentences together that would mean complete opposites yeah it's it's <laughs> it's, it's um it, it is it's just a, a a naked grab for power yes it's power for power's sake um I don't know that it's power to establish uh, a dynasty. I mean, is does 45 really feel that Donald Jr. or Eric is going to no, step up? It, I mean, it's more likely no, that no. Uh, the daughter would step up. No, none of that's going to happen. No. It's it's all it's all it's all megalomaniacal. But yes, you know, yeah. we don't have to wax on about him forever because you know he's. I put him in a special case, and I'll yes. just leave him there anyway. Yeah, let me uh, or let maybe me special needs, but <laughs> uh, and let me correct a couple of things I said about the senator who's who's filibustering mm-hmm. the entire session. Her name is uh, Michaela Kavanaugh, spelled with a C. And mm-hmm. it's Nebraska. It's the Nebraska ah. legislature, not mm-hmm. Kansas. Uh, but it's out in that direction. <laughs> the flyby uh, area. The, the flyover. flyover uh, and uh, uh, and one of the things, too, that uh, uh, I, I've i got to give her kudos uh, as well, because uh, during her filibuster. Now, this is not like the Senate filibuster where these basically men don't have the courage to do the real filibuster you know all they do is go oh no i I don't want that bill send a note to the clerk and then bam you know you know the thing has to go through a closure vote Mm. Uh, but they never have to show up and uh, in nebraska she has to be on the floor and she has to talk in order to take up the time wow Uh, and uh now i must admit that the rules there is not that you have to be there uh 24 7 as the old uh, filibuster rule used to be in the senate Mm -hmm. but you have to be there during the time when the debate comes up and you have to then talk for the entire time 
that the debate is scheduled for in Nebraska. Uh, Wear good shoes. Yeah. 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 And, and also have a strong voice. And she's been talking thing, uh, about things, for example, like, uh, you know, her favorite Girl Scout cookies. Uh, which, <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, for me, it's the uh, it's the peanut butter, man. I mean, oh, no, uh, no. <laughs> it's the old uh, the, the old Samoans now called caramel delights. Oh, ah. goodness. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Close second to my peanut butter cookies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the best donuts, the plot of the most recent animated movies like Madagascar and some of the others. Uh, but again, she's a real trooper, a real warrior, putting her actions right there where her you know, where her beliefs are and her uh -huh. philosophy. So, uh, if, if any of you out there listening at Senator, uh, Michaela Kavanaugh spelled with a C, uh, and it's in Nebraska, please send her a note of support. Uh, I have already on, on her website and also on her, uh, uh, to her office, uh, encouraging her. She needs millions and millions of, uh, of us who believe that, Hey, at least you're trying to use the process for good right? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, to give her some support. I, it's interesting. You know, a while back we were talking about, uh, you know, civil liabilities, lawsuits, generally, you know, uh, the what's going on with dominion voting machines strikes me as interesting uh, because right now, you know, the lawsuit pending against Fox is pretty solid. Um, and one would hope, yeah. yeah, and and within the organization, there's been a fair amount of infighting about it, you know, because of the fact that they know that their side of the argument is pretty weak and Murdoch is exposed. Because here's a company that has the wherewithal to take up a pretty heated battle against the publisher. So they've got the armaments, they've got the depth. They can also demonstrate clearly that they've been wronged, they've been harmed, all of the things that are necessary to justify a strong lawsuit with, quite frankly, an outcome that could be really, really large and really, really damaging. So it's not like it's personal. You know, personal libel suits are always difficult, but mm -hmm. against a company that is so clearly devoted to doing a singular task as a pure play operation that manages to its best efforts the vote and to make the claims that they did that somehow or other people in South America got in there and juggled the software uh, or that the machine's been manipulated by other nefarious sources. I really, really hope that, you know, the truth will out in this as a civil case that tends to tame the beast some. That one is, I think, going to be one to watch. And what's interesting also is, is that the schism that it created within Fox as the organization, where those who had their hourly polemic shows were deriding the news organization. The news reporters themselves were, you know, reporting how the election went legitimately, that Biden won and so on. And 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 this division within the organization and then piling on to try to take down the voting machine company in the process uh, is, I think, going to prove pretty damaging. Uh, and maybe that might start to to put the brakes on some of this craziness that's been mm -hmm. going on. And, you know, there uh, there's a there's a principle that I learned in law school the short time that I was in law school of what it means to have a summary judgment. And mm -hmm. let me quickly explain that this is a case 
that I think if the judge were to do, cause there's a motion for summary judgment that's on the table mm. and, uh, it gives the judge an opportunity to weigh the evidence that's been, uh, put in front of him or her prior to a full trial in front of a jury to say, judge, look, the, uh, the evidence here is overwhelming that the defendant did what we're saying he did or the organization did it's overwhelming and there's no other way to go other than to rule in our favor i believe that the judge in this case would be doing all of us a wonderful service because i believe that they have actually proved their case defamation yes and I think they've overwhelmingly proved their case of death, uh, of defamation. And I think they're entitled to everything that they asked for, plus the punitive damages that would come from a, uh, any kind of judgment in their favor. So in the interest of the country and in the interest of the law, I think, and this is one of those cases that begs out for the judge to yes. do a summary judgment. Yes. Everything that we've seen so far has exposed Fox as nothing more than a propaganda machine. It is not a news organization. And they had no. callous and animus knowing full well that what they were reporting around the million uh, machines was not true. They can't they make the it. absent malice claim. No. And it was with malice. Right. They did it because they knew that if they were to start to either let Dominion go and not bring it up or to tell the truth, well, it's not really the machines, that they would start to lose audience and ergo ratings. Exactly. So uh, in my humble opinion, this is one of those, uh, and I hope our listeners in Franklin do as you say, Pete, pay attention to this particular case. I think it's one of the number one. I think it's going to become a seminal case with regard to organizations responsibility around liability and defamation. Yep. And I also think too, that in this case, dominion, uh, voting machines have an absolute solid case that they've already proved, uh, without having to go to a jury where the judge should render a summary judgment for them right now as soon as everybody rests and they say okay that's it in terms of preliminary stuff judge one of the things i'd like to do uh sort of to close things out here is i'd like to focus on the the fourth estate for a moment a little bit of history to consider boston's famous in a couple of ways uh in boston we're famous for establishing the case that led to what we know as freedom of the press in 1704 the governor allowed a boston newsletter a weekly to be published, and it became the first continuously published newspaper in the United States and the colonies. The first editors discovered readers loved it when they criticized the local governor, and the governors discovered that they could shut down the newspapers. The most dramatic confrontation came in New York in 1734, where the governor brought John Peter Zenger to trial for criminal libel after the publication of satirical attacks. The jury acquitted Zanger, who became the iconic American hero for freedom of the press. The result was an emerging tension between the media and the government. And by the mid-1760s, there were 24 weekly papers in the 13 colonies. The New England Current, another newspaper, was published by none other 
than Ben Franklin's brother, James Franklin. His older brother first made a news sheet, something more than a garbled mass of stale items from the Gazette and other public prints from London that were already six months late. Instead, he launched a third newspaper, the New England Current, and his associates were known as the Hellfire Club, and they succeeded in publishing a distinctive newspaper that annoyed the New England elite while proving entertaining and establishing a kind of literary precedent. Instead of filling the first part of the current with tedious conventionalism, the governor's addresses to provincial legislators, and so on, James Franklin's club wrote essays and satirical letters modeled on The Spectator, which first appeared in London 10 years earlier. So what strikes me as interesting is that the notion of literary rhetoric is actually embodied in the very beginning of the print industry as we know it as newspapers. But it does beg the question, when do we go off the rails? When, you know, it's it's a healthy part of, of opinion making, but at the same time, the vitriol that has risen up of late and the fact that it has shifted from third-person opinion in the press to first-person utility among the politicians themselves, I find somewhat distressing. Now, politicians enjoy First Amendment rights just like anyone else. But at the end of the day, I keep harping on this one from time to time, an educated society is democracy's best defense, the Jeffersonian principle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would I would propose, Pete, that we started going off the rails when we got to a point where the newspaper was no longer a vehicle that one had to use critical thinking skills in order to be able to ferret through it. Right. And that came about, I think, up to the point of the creation of the radio. Well, it has to be true. I read it in the paper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but even then people would say, well, it was in the paper, but I saw know. it on the Internet. Yeah. Ah, well, yeah, that's where we are now. Part of that, the first part of that came when it was. Yeah, but I heard it on the radio. Yes. OK. No longer do we have to use that critical thinking skill of taking the word on print and then ascertaining do it all the time as you're reading through it. Do I believe it? Right. Because now with radio, we're now beginning to get a person who, well, you know, uh, uh, who was one of the, uh, one of the first commentators, uh, out of Chicago, um, Oh, I can't think of his name, uh, but you know, oh, well, so-and-so and so-and-so said that on the radio and suddenly people could use another skill, just your listening skills to ascertain whether it was true or not. You didn't have to read. And then every word, is that true? Is that, well, can I believe that? Oh no. Now someone is telling it to you. So now it goes to the veracity of that person who's saying it to you. You follow me? In other yep, words, now I do. is he or she trustworthy over the television? I mean, over the radio. And then television complicated, and there were liars. There were yes, people yes, who yes. on radio who were espousing the same divisive kinds of stuff uh, from the uh, 1910s, 1920s, and stuff, and onward. <clears throat> and then TV comes in in the 50s and starts to complicate this even more. 
And I recall listening to, and you could tell the difference between, let's say, an Edward R. Murrow, Mm -hmm. who would give news and would give editorials and comments. And he would, you know, there was a bright line between when he's giving an editorial comment and when he's presenting the news. Correct. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a real distinctive difference. And then don't forget, too, it was only three uh, at well, they started out with two television stations and then three. That youngster upstart ABC comes mm-hmm. out here, right? Uh, you know, and jumps into the uh, jumps into the fray. And all we've done is, and I and and let's go three hundred and sixty degrees because when you started with the idea that you know uh, computer speeds, when you know before we went on, uh, get faster. What every every two, two years, years the double, yep. yeah. Okay. Moore's law. The the idea that this proliferation of the internet, social media outlets where everyone can become their own reporter. Yes. And the idea that critical thinking skills can get you through uh, to the truth has now become actually a misnomer because you're being hit and bombarded with so many versions that all you got to do now is just choose which version do I really ascribe to. Mm-hmm. Right. And you touched on an interesting one too, Dr. Mike, the one about being in print versus being on the radio versus being on television. Uh, specifically, a famous case that came up was uh, President Reagan's testimony when they were talking about uh, you know Oliver North and that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And at the time, somebody transcribed the uh the language and to watch to watch reagan's testimony on television he was the avuncular uncle you know Mm -hmm. saying that well you know i don't rightly recall whatever yeah the radio less so because we were no longer taking in the visual information and on the radio right the the pauses and so on carry different weight and then finally reducing it to print he sounded like, quite frankly, something of a dunce. Uh, and there were reporters who actually took that whole thing apart regarding right. presentation, where here was a man who had a book written about him. The book was entitled The Acting President, because he was obviously uh, a big Hollywood actor prior, mm-hmm. and he had those skills coming into office. Right. And under any circumstances, he knew how to put forward his best presentation. Right. Right. And so so what we have now, as you pointed out, is moving from newspapers where somebody writes in some literary way, you know, with whatever emotional weight they put into it, their own opinion, and then going to radio and screaming their opinion. And now finally we come to television where we have a group of the beautiful people expressing their thoughts um, and agreeing with each other. Uh, emphatically you know, to create, you know, what comes as a new truth, because there's a crowd talking about it. You know, people are talking, people are saying things. Right. And, and a lot of folks, you know, simply line up with that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, it has changed our world. Yes. Um, so amplified, with that thought, let's work on the uh, idea of how you counter that in one of our future programs. Oh, by the way, <laughs> oh, by the way, um, I think that'll be a great L and R episode. Logic mm-hmm. and rhetoric. Mm-hmm. 
there is a hearing going on right now uh, that as soon as I get out of here, I'm going to uh, uh, I'm going to uh, uh, click into, which is the reparations hearing ah. in uh, in Illinois. And as you may recall, we had uh, the author of the reparations piece yes. in Illinois here on our show, <clears throat> and they're having further hearings about uh, a report on how it's going and whatnot. So. Uh, I encourage our listeners. We're going to try to see if we can get back in contact with her because now there's California and a couple of other places that are mm -hmm. uh, trying to figure out should reparations uh, be a part of their mm -hmm. uh, uh, of their political uh, and social agenda. So, yes, I think uh, yeah that we've got we've got plenty of <laughs> plenty plenty of sources for continued shows. Yes. But right now we're going to wrap this one up because another more perfect union hour has flown by and we do have to say goodbye until next week. Now, again, as always, if you'd like to weigh in on our discussions, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at Franklin TV. That's I-N-F-O at Franklin TV. And again, if you enjoyed the discussion, let us know. Or if you disagree all the more reason to let us know. Now, you can also share or listen to this program or any of our past episodes anytime. Our podcasts are available online at our website, wfpr.fm. For our guest, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, and our station manager, Peter J. That I'm would be me. Rose. That would be you. <laughs> <laughs> and this would be me. And I'm Nick Remesong. Thanks for listening and joining our shared journey toward a more perfect union. This is Franklin Public Radio.